Well, good morning. My name is Drew Payton. Hi, thank you. <laughs> My people. Hey, students. How are y'all? Uh, I'm the director of student ministries here at Covenant, and I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning. Uh, folks in Washington, I'm so glad that you're joining us there. Uh, people who are watching online, welcome as well. Uh, it's a good morning to be here. So thank you guys for coming uh, and choosing Covenant for the Sunday after Christmas and before New Year's. Um, my guess is for many of us, this time, this, this week in particular is a little bit strange. Like we've had some time off from work maybe, uh, done a little bit of traveling. Maybe we still are traveling for some of you. And in all of those things, it's a time of reflecting back on Christmas that we just had as well as all of 2018. It's also a time of looking ahead to 2019 with anticipation of what God's going to do there. And this week is kind of caught in the middle of those things. And so I wanted to share with you this morning that as we're, we're in this kind of weird time between 2018 and going into 2019, uh, something that I hope will impact your 2019 as much as I believe it's going to impact mine. Because I had this realization I was studying scripture over the Christmas season and realized that um, I, I should go back and start in Matthew chapter one and read through the Christmas story again. And as I was doing it, I, I became aware of something that's a tendency of mine. And it's not a good tendency to have, but it's something that I do. When I study scripture that I'm familiar with or that I've heard before, instantly my mind starts skimming the pages and reading past the part that I know to try and get to something new. I don't know, you don't have to raise your hands and admit to that. Maybe it's just me, maybe you experience this. But my guess is that we have a tendency sometimes to sort of shift into autopilot, if you will. Now, maybe it's not scripture reading for you, but my guess is you've experienced this. You've been driving down the road and you realize, oh my goodness, I don't know how I got to this point on the road. Anybody done that? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, I don't know who was driving my car. I don't know what other cars were in the area. I don't know what possessed me, but here we are. It's scary, right? When you realize your brain has been controlling your body without you really being at the wheel. <laughs> it's, it's like there's nobody home. Your body's going through the motions. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. Or maybe for you, it's reading, where you read a chapter of a book and you start the chapter and you're really excited about the book. Or maybe you're not, but either way, you're reading. And you get about halfway into it. You get a couple paragraphs in and you realize... I'm thinking about lunch. I have no idea what I just read over the last three paragraphs. No idea what this guy or girl is talking about in this book. No clue. Or here's the worst one and most dangerous of all, even worse than the driving thing. Maybe you're listening to your spouse, right? And, and they're talking and you're nodding and you're saying, mm-hmm, but nobody's home. And I, I realized pretty quickly, I'm not good at that. Sarah can tell very quickly when I'm going, mm-hmm, yes, dear, yep, all right. Uh, and she's like, hello, hello, where's Drew? Come back. And in all those areas, including scripture reading, we can have a tendency to shift into autopilot. And what happens is the things that are familiar to us or the things that we're comfortable with, we just go through the motions. Our body takes over and we're not really home. Here's my challenge and my hope today. We're gonna take a passage that you, you have probably heard or at least um, maybe if it's the first time reading it today, then really dive in. But if you've heard it a million times, I want you to fight against the temptation to skim it. Fight against the, the tendency that at least I have to overlook it, to shift into autopilot, because there was an incredibly profound truth that day in the Christmas season when I was studying God's word that I stumbled onto that has always been there, right in my face, and I've never noticed it. And so my hope is today... As we dive into this text, we're going to look at some very simple and yet profound truth 
about Jesus from this passage, and do this with me, make sure that you don't skim it. And let's, for 2019, as you're, I don't know if you make resolutions or not, I don't know if you, like me, try and call them goals so they don't sound like resolutions, and then still often abandon them by a couple weeks in, but here's one that we can stick to, okay? As we read scripture this year, let's pause, let's take a breath, and let's recognize the profound simplicity of many of the truths in scripture, that they have drastic implications for our lives that we can benefit from if we just stop, take a breath, shift out of autopilot, and connect with them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read Matthew 4, 1 through 11 today. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It's also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So here's our spiritual principle. I'm going to give it to you right up front because you're going to see it all throughout this passage. And again, it's, it's simple, but it is profound and it has drastic implications for our lives. Here it is. Ready? God came in the flesh to save us from ours. God came in the flesh to save us from ours. And there are three observations I want to make about Jesus in this passage that show, us this, show this to be true. The first one is this. Jesus was hungry. Now, here's the part that really struck me, because I've read this before, and I'm always like, sometimes inwardly, sometimes out loud, I will say as I'm reading this passage, of course he was hungry, right? It says he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. So he went without food for that length of time. I often can't make it 40 minutes without being hungry, and Jesus went 40 days. So, like, obvious statement. Why does it even need to be in the Bible? But then it hit me. Jesus was hungry. Now, you may go, Drew, that's the same thing. But here's the focus. I focus too much on the why he was hungry. It was because he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, which is true and is profound. Um, I also focused on the fact that Jesus was being obedient to the Spirit. The reason he was hungry is because he went where the Spirit told him to go. He did what the Spirit told him to do. A lot of times we think if we're obedient to the Spirit, then good things happen for us, right? Which is true. But we don't get to define what good means, unfortunately. Uh, actually, fortunately, that God has a better definition of good than we do. So we think, if I just am obedient to the Spirit, everything's going to work out the way I want it. But Jesus shows us that's not true. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing, and yet he was experiencing hunger. Also, here's the who instead of the why. He was hungry because he had been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. But the reason this is profound is that it's Jesus who is hungry. Jesus, the one who is the image of the invisible God. 
Jesus, the one who uh, is the very fullness of God in the flesh, Jesus, the one by whom and for whom everything was created, the one who is there at the very beginning before anything else was, the one who spoke the world into existence, that God, that guy was hungry. That's incredible. Because to be hungry means that you have need of something. You need food, right? And Jesus, in leaving heaven, and this ties it together to the Christmas story in my mind, because Jesus coming, he didn't just come as a baby, which he did. He didn't just come so that he would grow up and live a perfect life, die a sacrificial death, and rise again from the dead, so that in believing in him, we could have life eternal. He did that as well. But you know what else he did? He was willing to leave heaven to be hungry. I always miss out on that because I'm so focused on the big picture that I miss how profound that simple truth is. I do everything I can to avoid being hungry, yet Jesus, in his obedience to God and his love for us, was willing to take on hunger so that we can be full. And that's the implication for us. We often focus on our our physical hunger, on the things that are obvious for us, the needs that we have, but we can miss sometimes the spiritual need that we have. And Jesus, taking on physical hunger, allowed us to be full with the bread of life. That is the good news of Jesus, that we can be full. In John 6, 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is a profound and yet very simple truth embedded in the text. So do you, are you with me so far? Do you understand that we can miss truths like this in Scripture when we, when we switch our brains off into autopilot when we're reading, when we are more focused on getting our 20 minutes, our 30 minutes, our hour, whatever it is, our five minutes in the Word than we are on the relationship with Jesus. And I'm guilty of this as well, which is why as we go into this year, this message is for me as well, that I need to stop and focus and recognize that Jesus being hungry is a powerful truth. The second thing we see from this is that Jesus experienced temptation. In verse three, it says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Right off the bat, we see that Satan's tactics are full of deceit. Do you catch what he says to Jesus, how he leads off his big opener in this temptation is, if you are the son of God, He's trying to call into question the very identity of Jesus. I don't know if this sounds familiar yet, uh, but it will because this same tactic is used against us all the time. We think our identity is not rooted in Christ. When we think that, we are in danger of falling to temptation. When we put our identity in things that can never hold up to temptation, we're gonna fall short. Jesus, the one who two verses before The very passage before this, in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, it says this. This is Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, catch this, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Not a handful of verses before Satan's calling into question Jesus' identity. God the Father himself opened up the heavens to say, this is my son. Satan's very first tactic is to say, if that's true, because I don't believe it to be true, then you better do this. Our identity is so important. 
who we are, who we identify ourselves to be is so important. And Jesus stood firm on the realization that his father determined who he was. Satan never could. You know why? Because Satan didn't create anything. He manipulates. He twists. He can't create. He can't fashion. He can't mold. Only God can do that. And so when you are tempted to sin, when your identity is called into question, stand firm on the truth of what God says about you, not what the enemy is coming against you with in that moment. Not what your flesh is tempted to believe, not what culture tells you, certainly not that either. What God the Father says about you and what he said about Jesus was, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It reminds me of this song. There's a song by Andrew Peterson called Dancing in the Minefields. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it or if you're familiar with it. It's actually about marriage, but there's a, a couple of lines in that song that always strike me as so profound and maybe one of the best pictures of identity that I've ever seen. It says this, when I lose my way, find me. When I loose love's chains, bind me. At the end of all my faith, to the end of all my days, when I forget my name, remind me. And I love that because when I'm tempted to sin, when I'm tempted to fall short, what it really is is I'm forgetting my name. I'm forgetting that I am the son of God, that I'm adopted into his family, that I am his child. And so I need to be reminded. And maybe for you today, as you're sitting here, you realize that you don't know who that would be in your life to remind you in that moment. And so maybe today God's calling you to surround yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ who can remind you of truth when you're tempted to stray. We are so vulnerable to temptation when we're isolated. And Satan thought he had Jesus where he wanted him. He thought he was isolated, but Jesus was standing firm on the truth of who he was in the Father, and he was not alone because he was reminding himself who he was and who he belonged to. We can model that as well, or we can follow that example. We can follow the model of Jesus there. The second thing uh, that, sorry, that Satan does, not Jesus, to uh, attack Jesus and to tempt him is he twists scripture. Yeah, that's an important distinction, isn't it, Nick? Thank you. Uh, Is he twists scripture. He, in verse six, he takes what God has said and, and again, this is what Jesus does. He manipulates it to say what he wants it to say. And so Jesus calls that out instantly. He's not distracted by that. But the last thing that Satan does is he makes promises he can't keep. He takes him to a high mountain. He looks out over everything and he says, all this will be yours if you bow down and you worship me. And that's the point at which Jesus says, away from me, Satan. You know why? Because Satan can never fulfill the promises he makes to you. He can't. In our flesh, when we're tempted to sin, when we say, you know what? It's only this one time. It's not going to matter. It'll be okay. Those are lies that Satan can't fulfill because he is a deceiver. Instead, we need to stand firm in our identity, in the truth that God has given to us, and recognize that his promises always come true. God never lets us down. We sang about his goodness today. We sang about the fact that he will never leave us. And we can remember that even in the middle of our temptation, we don't have to give in to the lie. Because Satan is is a master manipulator, but God offers us truth. Also, Jesus' temptation was tailored to his circumstances. Did you notice that? The first one, I think I could relate to. If I was Jesus and I had the power to make bread 
and I'd been 40 days without food, that temptation would hold some water. The next one seems a little strange. It says, throw yourself off of this high pinnacle. Why on earth would we want to do that, <laughs> right? Well, here's what Satan knew, that Jesus's goal was to show himself to be the son of God. And that would get some attention, wouldn't it? If Jesus jumped off, angels swooped in and saved him, and that would jumpstart his ministry. Because to this point, he didn't have a following. He was just starting out his ministry. And so Satan tailored his temptation to Jesus right where he knew Jesus would be tempted to fail. This is true of us as well, by the way. My temptation looks different than yours, but it's no less powerful. It's no less important to stand for truth regardless of our temptation. And I would just say this too. Um, something else that's a tendency of mine can be to judge other people's temptations that are different than my own. And I would just say, um, we all have the same need for Jesus. The answer to every temptation is the same. And our call is to love people and point them to truth. So we never sacrifice truth to do it. But as we stand for truth, let's point people to the one who can help their temptation. And that's Jesus. So the implication for us that Jesus was tempted is that we are being lied to by an adversary who wants to destroy us. That's bad news, right? That's scary. But here's the good news. This leads into point three. The third thing we can see and observe from this passage is that Jesus is victorious. This is the best news of all, isn't it? Matthew 4:11. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. He did not fall to temptation. This is the best news of all, because this is where his story differs from ours. We do fall. We fall short. Apart from God's grace, apart from his intervention, we have no hope against the temptation that we face. And we know that sin leads only and always to death. This is bad news, but here's the good news, that Jesus was victorious. And in doing so, he, he gives us a blueprint to follow when we're faced with temptation. Um, it actually reminds me of Christmas morning this year. We got a toy for Ayla Grace, my daughter, that somebody gave to us, and it had like that indestructible plastic around it. You know the kind I'm talking about? It's the kind you could go at with a chainsaw, and it would just not be affected. It would be fine. It's, I don't know who makes the plastic. I don't know how they do it, but I do know it's impossible to open. And every time I do, I cut my hands and it's no fun. So I instantly go to the kitchen, grab the scissors. I start hacking into this thing. Here's the problem. I was using the wrong tool for the job. You know how I know this? Because I got halfway into it and I picked it up and I looked at the bottom and it had these, this was a great design, by the way. Somebody very smart designed this. There were these little plastic tabs Anybody seen these on toys this year? Never seen them before. All you have to do is unscrew them with your fingers. The whole thing pops right off. It's magical. I was halfway into it with the scissors. I mean, I was like, you know, going to town. All I had to do was turn my fingers and open this thing. Here's my point. We try and go about temptation with the wrong tools most of the time. We stand and we say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not this time. I'm not going to mess up. I'm not going to fall short. I'm not going to sin. And then what do we do? We end up falling short again. Instead of doing that, let's look at the tools that Jesus used to combat his temptation. What he did was he, com he combated lies with specific truths. He took Satan's words and pointed him back to scripture. Every temptation that we face is a lie. Every one. Because if you boil it down, what it's saying is this sin is better than God. This thing that you should do, it's going to be sweeter than the gospel. 
It's going to be better. It's going to give you more benefit than God's goodness can give you. And so every time we sin, we're believing a lie, either about God or about ourselves or about both, or about the thing that we're sinning, that it, it can fulfill us more than he can. And so Jesus combats those lies with truth. In verse 4, verse 7, and verse 10, he points us back to Deuteronomy. And I find this really significant as well, because the passage in which he does it, that he chooses to point out, it's to the Israelite people, and it's God's law given to them. And what he's telling them to do is to put him first and to obey his law. We know the Israelite people failed time and time again. They put themselves first. They worshiped other gods. They fell short of his glory. And God, in his grace, sent them Jesus. And he sent us Jesus because in the same way that the Israelites failed, Jesus is victorious. He's a fulfillment of all that God promised, of all that he prepared for us, that we can have relationship with him because of that victory. And so we, like the Israelites, in our failings, can still have hope knowing that God is with us and he's for us and he's given us victory. So even though it is 100% true that we can combat the lies of the enemy and the temptations we face with scripture, we must never forget that first and foremost, the way to combat temptation is through a relationship with Jesus Christ because he is the embodiment of the victory against sin, death, and the grave. And we can have the freedom that he's earned over sin. We didn't earn it, but it was credited to our account because of his goodness. And we get to cling to that. So when we're tempted, we can remind ourselves of truth. We can surround ourselves with people in our lives to remind us of who we are and who we belong to. And we can stand firm in that truth and not fall short because he has won the victory. The implication for us is that Jesus is victorious where we fall. Hebrews 4.15 puts it this way, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's one of the most beautiful scriptures to read, to remember that Jesus was victorious, but also he did it in such a way that he can relate to us. He came to earth for us and to give God the Father the most glory possible. And because of that, we can have hope. So today, what does this mean for us? I have a couple questions for you. Are you hungry today? Are you feeling that spiritual hunger, that emptiness? Because I know that Christmas can be a beautiful time. It can also be a really difficult time. And maybe some of you have smiled through the holidays, but inside you're feeling pretty empty. If that's you today, I would encourage you, look to the bread of life and be filled there. That is the only place that we can find fulfillment. Are you tempted today? If not, wait five minutes and you will be, as will I. Because as we're tempted, we can follow the example of Jesus. We can look to him for that victory. And are you feeling defeated today? Remember that if you've come into relationship with Jesus, you are his son, you are his daughter. He has won the victory. He has won the war. We still have battles that he's fighting on our behalf right now, but he has won the war. So if you're feeling defeated, step into the, into the victory that's only found in Jesus. So this week and into this year, let's slow down. Let's take a breath and pay attention to the power of this simple and profound truth that changes everything. This changes everything. God came in the flesh 
to save us from ours. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's live that way this year. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reminder that Christmas is that you came. You came in the flesh so that we could have hope that we don't deserve. And God, I thank you that our identity is no longer a sinner, but it's when we put our faith in you, it is the child of God, a child of God. So God, thank you for that truth. May we live our lives in reflection of that simplicity, that when we get bogged down by our sin, when we get frustrated, when we get tempted, Lord, remind us that you are with us. Help us to live our lives in reflection of that truth. So God, thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning, uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite the prayer, um, prayer folks to come up. And as they do, maybe this morning is an opportunity for you to come to the altar and be prayed over. Maybe there's a temptation that you, you know that Jesus has given you victory over it, but you're not seeing the fruit of that right now. And you need to be reminded of who you are today. I would invite you to come. Maybe for others, um, you're recognizing a need to plug into a community where you can be reminded of who you are. I would encourage you, get plugged in here at Covenant. There are so many groups that'll be starting up that are for you, that can unite you with other people to speak into your life. Maybe that's your takeaway today. But whatever it is, I pray that as we leave this place this morning in a few minutes, that we go with the knowledge that Jesus is with us, that he's for us, and he's good.